not shouting, it's just normal talking because we're Italian and we're loud. And I like the church to be loud as well. Amen. It's good. It's good to be loud in church. I love Trish because when she laughs, she laughs and everybody can hear her. Laugh for us, Trish. Come on. Uh, you'll hear it through the sermon. She'll be laughing. You know it's Trish. I love it when we say amen and uh, everyone says amen, not two or three. It's like with volume, amen. It's good. Fantastic. So uh, we like a noisy church. Is that okay? Good to be noisy. Amen. Fantastic. One of the greatest questions ever asked to Jesus was made by a, an expert of the law. In other words, this guy knew his, he knew his Bible. He knew Scripture. And he goes, to the, he goes to Jesus and he addresses him like this. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a very, very good question. Because uh, uh, there's some people who believe that uh, it was all, we're all here by accident, by a big bang. Nobody put it in place. There was always matter around in space. And then as, as a series of consequences and explosions and reactions, and here we are today. And when you die, you die to nothing, right? They put you in the ground, the worms eat your body, and then that's it. Nothing else happens. But then there's another group of people who don't see it that way. They believe there's reason behind everything that we see. There's an intelligent creator behind everything that we see. They think that they're not here on earth by accident, but by some plan or some divine intervention and they also believe that when they die from this earth, from this life, there is an eternity that awaits them. Now, this teacher of the law, he was in the second category. He believed that there is eternal life. He believed that there was something that happens after this life. So the question is a very important question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words... What do we need to do in this life in order to live in the next life and to live forever? It's a very good question. I'm in the probably second half of my life. I'm 56. Most of my life is behind me. There's less of my life in front of me. And so I want to tell you, for those that are feeling that 20 is old, I want to tell you when you get to 56, it's not like it's old. You don't feel old. I don't feel really old. My body sometimes tells me otherwise, but I still feel young. But I realize that this, the 56 years of my life have gone by so quick, so fast. It seems like it's just a blink of your eye and your life is gone. And this guy says, what do I need to do in this brevity of life? Maybe you live to 100 and you feel like, wow, what a long life. Even 100 can, years can go by so quick. 56 years have gone very quick for me. If I were to live to, to be 100, another 44 years, I, I would tell you it would still be very, very quick. What can I do in a short life to be able to inherit eternal life? A very, very good question. In other words, how do we become an immortal? I know that the rugby, rugby league has, uh, rugby uh, NRL has the immortals. It's like heroes of the, of the game. They will stand the test of time. That people will remember them a hundred years down the track, a thousand years down the track. I'm not too sure 
if that's going to be one of the things that's going to happen. But how do we become immortals? In other words, to never die. And I read it last week, found in Luke 10, 25 to, to 28. Basically, Jesus said it's pretty simple. He said it's like this. Love God and love people. In fact, that was the answer of the, 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 the teacher of the law. He said, love God and love people. It's all summed up in those two great principles, to love God and to love people. Wow, it's very simple, isn't it? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love people as you would want them to love you. But when we read last week, we also read that for the Christians, there's a bit of an extra emphasis placed on believers and the responsibility that we have to each other. Amen. That's why this series is called Each Other. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 10 says, Let us do good to all, everybody, but hang on, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, do good to all, irrespective of race, irrespective of whether they're rich or poor, irrespective whether they they like the same things that you like or whether they have the same faith that you have, irrespective of that, like everybody, but especially to each other, especially to one another. And that's what this series is all about. How do we get on with one another? Not just to get on, but how do we reflect this, the one another's in our life? Jesus said, love God, love others for eternal life. But the special emphasis is on loving Christians. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In other words, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love each other. And when you love each other, everyone else, will know that you're a disciple of Christ Jesus, a follower of Christ Jesus. You see, he didn't say, hey, go to the jewelry store, get a cross, put it on a necklace, wear it around your neck, and then everybody will know that you're a Christian. It would be simple. Just go and make a badge and put a badge and say, I'm a Christian. Or he didn't say, I just want you to dress in a particular way. And if you dress with a a gray suit and a white shirt and a blue tie, everyone will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say that. He didn't say, look, uh, this is what I want you to do. is I want you to go to church every Sunday. And if you go to church every Sunday, everyone will know that you're my disciples. He didn't say that. The conditions of being known as a follower of Jesus Christ are true disciples And if you know what our vision statement is, is that we're making fully devoted followers of Christ Jesus. It says, if you want people to know that you are my followers, devoted followers of Christ Jesus, they will know that by the amount of love that you show for each other. See, I I really believe there's a big difference between being a Christian, listen carefully, and being a disciple. Big difference. A Christian says, I identify with Christ. A devoted follower, disciple says, I am committed to the teachings of Christ Jesus and to following Christ Jesus and living according to the teachings of Christ Jesus. 
Everyone is going to know that we are followers of Christ Jesus. He didn't say, by this, if you love each other, everyone's going to know that you're a Christian. No, he said, by this shall all know that you are my disciples if you love each other. See, disciples are people who follow the teachings um, by the way we love each other. They will know that we're his disciples. You need to understand that the word Christian wasn't, a, wasn't made up by Christians. It was made up by others, the non-Christians. They said this bunch of disciples, because Jesus made disciples, he says, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go and make Christians. He says, go and make disciples. The disciples were known, and the, the world out there looked at them and says, these guys are Christians. That was the first time in, in Acts it talks about that they were known, called as Christians in Antioch. The very first time the word Christians was attributed to disciples of Christ Jesus. So it was a term that the world gave to those that were called or known as disciples of Christ Jesus. See, they will know that you're disciples of Christ Jesus, not Christians, disciples of Christ Jesus, if you see the love for each other. You see the love that they have for each other. In other words, I look at it this way. I'm a practical person. You know, I'm not so much on theory and stuff, but I'm a practical person. A practical person, as a practical person, I feel this way. That when a non-believer comes into our midst or comes to our dinner table or comes to where there's Christians, that person all of a sudden, there's something that's happening inside of their soul and their spirit that says, hey, these people have something that I don't have, that they feel good when they're around Christians. I'll say that again, that they feel good when they're around Christians. All of a sudden, they're feeling love that they haven't felt before. They feel like when they come with Christians, they feel safe. When they hang around Christians, they feel welcome. When they hang around Christians, they see something that they haven't seen ever before. When they come around Christians, all of a sudden, they feel a sense of dignity. By this shall all know that you are my disciples, by the amount of love that you have for one another. And as I said, the one another's is mentioned in the New Testament over 50 times. So I think that there's something to be said in that. We can't just just discredit and say it's not very, very important. If it's been repeated in the Bible, in the New Testament, over 50 times, I think we should conclude that it's quite important. The one another. Last week, we looked at this. and We looked at, don't be a judge. Don't judge one another. Bear one another. Don't grumble to each other. Don't pay back. To each other, don't lie to each other, don't bite or devour. Has there been any biting this week? Have you been devouring some Christians this week? Anyone been devoured? Felt like they've been devoured? No? Well, that's good. We did okay on that then, hey? No one's got a bit of their skin missing because someone, another Christian, was trying to devour you. I feel quite good. I feel quite, I felt like I haven't been devoured this week. Amen. You know, people get on Facebook and devour each other by nasty comments and 
horrible things and sometimes even our leaders don't always portray what it should what life should be like and they seem to be devouring each other at every comment and belittling each other and putting each other down and making everyone you know it's it's funny to see the play between uh, president obama and the president-elect donald trump and you know they hate each other's guts and ridiculing each other and then all of a sudden things change and they're shaking hands and they're believing in each other and i go like who are you guys trying to kid Sometimes as Christians, we try to kid each other. You know, we, we say nice things in front, but then behind we say horrible things. Well, all the one another last week was all dealing with those sorts of things that we shouldn't be doing those types of things. This week is going to get a little bit better. The first thing I want you to put down, if you're taking notes, is the first thing that we need to do found in Romans 15 verse 7 is to accept one another accept one another therefore receive one another just as christ has received us to the glory of god acceptance amen that's an important thing how many people want to be felt feel accepted sometimes we try our whole life to be accepted by our father or our mother or our peers we do everything i just want to feel accepted i just want to feel that i'm okay And I think that in the church, when people come in to the believers, they need to feel accepted. Can I hear an amen? If I'm saying something good, you need to say amen or that's good or keep preaching or just shut up and sit down. Amen. The message, I'm going to read it to you. The same passage of scripture. And obviously the message doesn't do verse for verse, it's sort of, Combines a couple of verses together. So I'm going to read the first few verses of Romans 15. Those of us who are strong and able in faith need to step in and lead a hand, lend a hand to those who falter. I love that. Some of us are, are doing really well and we feel really strong. Well, then it's not like, hey, look at me, look how strong I am. It's like, hey, God has given you strength so that you can help someone who's weak. Amen. That's the one another. That's the spirit of the one another. When someone's down and you're feeling strong, you go and lift them. Sometimes I'm going to feel discouraged and like, oh, I just don't want to go to church today. You'll be there, no, Pastor Mario, you're going to preach a great word today. You're going to, maybe you have no energy, but when you get on that stage and God puts a word in your mouth, you're going to have all the energy that you need to deliver what God has put in your mouth. That's the one another. So when someone's faltering, it's there, we're there to pick them up. And not just do what is most convenient for us. I think there's a book called Convenient Christianity. Amen. In other words, we, our Christianity is based, based totally on the convenience of what it is that we're doing. Well, the message is saying there's going to be a lot of things that we do as Christians and believers for the one another that is not also convenient. You know, when you go, I really didn't need this. Amen. Strength is for service, not for status. I love that. Strength is for service, not for status. I I know there's, I've got to be careful because there's some big boys in this room. Right? I'm big too, right? Probably not always in the right areas, but. And you know, the thing about bodybuilders, I'm not a bodybuilder. I know you're having a hard time to comprehend that, but this body is just all natural. I don't do any bodybuilding. Now, I know the bodybuilders, they, they, they build their bodies up, but, you know, 
I am sure, I'm sure that when they go past the mirror and no one's looking, they go, now look at me. You don't have to own up any big boys here, right? You don't have to own up, right? But the Bible's sort of saying the strength that you now have is not so that you can look at yourself in the mirror and go, look at me. The strength that you have is there to be used for other people. Amen? Right? It's for the service, not for status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Wow. We're starting to see this whole thing of loving one another, right? By the way, we will know that, they will know that you're disciples by how much love you show for one another. And that's it. No, it's, it's, it's very practical. The first question is, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way Scripture puts it. Even if it was written in Scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. The combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert of whatever he will do next. Personally, God developed maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Wow. Then we'll be a choir, not only of voices, but our very life singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Master of our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a powerful story. It's a powerful analogy. We're there for each other. We're there to accept each other, to love each other, to get on with each other, to help each other. And it's not we're trying to sing from our own song sheet. We're all singing from the same song sheet. And when we sing together, it makes beautiful music. See, Christ was ridiculed by who? By the religious people. He was ridiculed because who he associated with, who he hung up with, amen. And uh, he was, he was uh, criticized for his compassion, for his tenderness towards the sinners, the sick, the children, the outcasts and the women. See, we need to consider each other. We need to accept each other. Not based on, this guy's really smart, I want to hang out with him. Or this guy's really rich, I want to hang out with him. I want to see what I can get from him. Or this guy, uh, uh, they, we're not on the same level. It's not based on smarts. It's not based on this guy's one of us. And I'm thinking like, who's the others? Not based on gender. It's not based on social status, but based on true love for all of God's family. Can I hear an amen? We're all family here this morning. You say, no, we're not. Look at, this. Look at your skin. Look at my skin. No, we're all family. Why? Family is because of blood. And the blood of Jesus that was shed for, for our sin that has made us part of his family. We're all being purchased with the same blood. Whether you're Italian, English, Spanish, it really matters not. We're all one family. Can I hear an amen? See, we're all, sometimes in churches like this, we're all special. But some are more special. 
No. Have we got more specials? We're all special, full stop. Amen. We're all equals. The second thing is to be devoted to each other. Romans 12.10. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another in honor, giving preference to one another. The, uh, uh, I think it's the Amplified Bible says, be devoted, be devoted, affectionate to one another in honor, giving preference to one another. Now, when you use the word devoted, devoted means to be loyal, to be loving and given to. Just as a mother shows affection and is devoted to her children, as she's devoted to her children, we need to be devoted to one another. And I have an example of what it means to be devoted this morning. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy called Dick Hoyt. I've got some pictures up there. Well, Dick Hoyt's got a son called Rick Hoyt. And Rick is the one in the wheelchair. He's got cerebral palsy. In 1977, his son felt compelled to, to get involved in a charity event. Now, he's in a wheelchair. So he asked his dad to push him in this charity event and raise some money. And that began a journey of a father and son. They began to run marathons, triathlons, and Ironman competitions. Now, if you know what a triathlon is, a triathlon is where they swim for, I think it's three kilometers. Then they get out of the water and they get on a bike and they cycle for 180 kilometers. And then after they've done that, it's like, that's like going to hill and back. Then you run a marathon, which is 42 kilometers. Now this father, what he would do, he started competing in these triathlons. And you think like, how can he compete in a triathlon with his son who has cerebral palsy? Well, he came up with a, a canoe. And in the canoe, he would put his son with a rope strapped to his stomach and he would swim, right, and pull his son along in the water. Then he'd get him out of the water, put him on a push bike, a bike that was made especially for him where the son would sit in front of his dad and he would ride the 180 kilometers. His son can't help him cycle. He's got to cycle uphill, downhill. When he's wrecked, he's got to continue to do that. And then on top of that, when he's finished his cycle, he's got to get him off the cycle and he's got to put him in a specially constructed wheelchair and he's got to push him for the 42 kilometers. He retired in 2014, the two of them, at the Boston Marathon. Now, if you remember in 2013, they also competed in the Boston Marathon. And that's where... The bombs went off. In their career, they've been involved in 1,100 endurance events. They've run 72 marathons. They've been involved in 257 triathlons and six Ironman events. They ran across America a distance of 3,735 miles in 45 days. And you say, why? Why would a father do that with his son? He's written a book called Devoted. And the reason being is because early in the piece, the son says to his dad, he says, Dad, you know, when we run together, it feels like I'm not handicapped. 
Friends, that's devotion. That's what it means to be devoted. That when we look out for each other and we are running together, we don't feel handicapped. Because I, I, I believe we're, that we're all handicapped in some way. We've got strengths and we've got weaknesses. And you know what? It's your strength that I need in my weakness. It's my strength that you need in your weakness. And I can strut my stuff and say, look at me, look at me, and look at how strong I am, and look how fast I can run, and look how far I can run, and look how much endurance I have. But if I'm not running with you and helping you, right, that's not being devoted. That's about me. Being devoted to one another is like that. It says that when we're running together, we don't feel handicapped. The third thing is unity with one another. If you have your Bibles, I know the scripture has been up there. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Let's see if I can find it. You doing okay? You needed a moment there. I noticed a few people crying. That's okay. I was crying too. I am a sook. I know I look really tough. Mean. Everyone thinks I'm mean, but I'm really a softy. I try to be tough. Uh, you, you know, these issues that we are facing, they're, they're not just issues for the church in the modern day times. The, the, these issues of the one another and biting and stuff that can go on in church, they've been there because we're people. That's how people are. And there's some reports of divisions coming to Paul in the church of Corinth. And, and, and I love the words that, that, that Paul used. He says, verse 10, Now I plead with you, plead, plead. I don't think I've ever used that. I've never used that term in church. I plead with you. But Paul has no problem in pleading to the church in Corinth because it must have been weighing heavy on his heart. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, Paul's trying to, trying to deal with a situation that there was divisions in the church. And, and, you know, a lot of things haven't changed. Some things are still the same. Paul's, Paul's trying to say, you need to have the one language. In Ephesians 4, 3, says, Bear one another, endeavoring to keep unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, try everything in your power and possibility to be united together. Let peace reign. Let peace rule. And Paul's pleading with the church to have, have one language, have one voice, be in tune, have the same message. And, and you may be saying this morning, well, Pastor Mario, what's the message that we need to have? What's the thing that's got to combine us? Well, I think I'm simple. And you can say, Pastor Murray, is very simple. God is good. 
God loves you. We're all messed up. And we all need God. That's the message. We may be all different. And we all like different things. In church, some like hymns. Any people like hymns? Not, not hymn hers. Hymns is like a song. It's like three verses and a chorus, right? Anybody remember singing hymns? How great thou art. I've got a mansion over the hilltop. I am redeemed. Yeah, that's a chorus. Okay. Some people like hymns. And, and I like listening to one of the uh, 2CH they've got on Sunday night. They've got all these old hymns. And they've got, they've got, they've got a funny thing. is they, they play a little, little portion of a hymn. And then you have to ring in and name what the hymn is. You, you know what? I know every single one of them. I've never rung, but I know every single, they just got to say two or, three, two or three words together. And I know which hymn it is. Or well, some people like hymns. Some churches are totally structured to be a church where they sing hymns and all the hymn lovers go to the hymns church. Some like drums in church. Some don't like drums in church. Some people tend to think that drums are from the devil. I don't know how that works, but some like communion every Sunday. Pastor Murray, do you do communion? Yeah, we do it once a month. <gasps> in the Bible, they're having communion every day as they broke bread together. <gasps> Some like to pray on their knees. I was in church when I grew up. We used to pray on our knees. Yeah? Used to get down. We're going to pray now. And everybody gets down, right? And you basically, there were some people that used to take a bit of support by the seat that they were sitting on and they would rest on the, the bottom of their seat. They'll sit there. And then there are others, I think, always the more spiritual ones, they would always turn around the front and hold the back of the seat in front of them, standing upright like that. But we pray standing up, sitting down. It doesn't really matter. We've got all differences. And if we focus on the difference, guess what it does? It divides. That's what it does. That's why the church in the Western world is so divided, because we all got reasons to be on our own. When it divides, guess what it does? It reduces the impact. It reduces impact. When we focus on what we have in common, what we agree on, what the main thing is, we have maximum impact. Christians who isolate themselves because of the things that they disagree with will always, listen carefully to this, I don't agree with that church over there. I don't agree with that pastor over there. I don't agree with that teaching over there. I don't agree with the other thing over there. And they, they know all the things they disagree on. What a sad way of looking at things. But you know what's going to happen? If that's your position in life, I don't agree with pastor so-and-so, and I don't agree with the other guy, and I don't agree. And then I basically go, well, you just need to start your own church. But when someone divides themselves like that, listing all the things they disagree on, right, and they can't find anything in common with another group of people, they will always be less fruitful. Listen carefully. They will always be less fruitful. They will always be less graceful. They'll always be less mature, and they will not live out the full potential that God has for them because He's placed us in a body and in the family of Christ Jesus. That means we need each other. See, everybody, you only have, it's funny, uh, uh, 
My wife said, you've got to be very careful what you say now because it's going to be recorded. It's going to be on a podcast. Have you ever met somebody? It's the best way to say it, eh? <laughs> Have you ever met somebody that's never been to church but that can tell you all the reasons why not to go to church? Yeah, I met somebody like that this week. Never been to church, but listen, everything that's wrong with the church. Everybody can point out what's wrong with the church. But purposeful people will speak out about what is good, what is strong, what is lovely, what is beautiful with the bride of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you go, if you go, I've done a been involved in a lot of wedding ceremonies right and if you go in and you see the bride looks perfect the groom looks perfect everything looks perfect but if you look long enough you're going to find a little bit of imperfection here and there some things don't fit properly and he didn't say the right things right instead of seizing the day and the moment of what is happening of these two people coming together and seeing the beautiful thing that's happening, some people go there, oh, I didn't like the dress, oh, I didn't like the colour of the flowers and I didn't like the food on the, on the main course and I didn't like this and I didn't like that. I wouldn't have had those cousins. They're finding everything that's wrong with it. Do you know anybody like that? My wife goes, what did you think of the dress? I'm like, it's okay. What did you think of the food? It's okay. All good. Purposeful people. We see what's right with the church. You see, I've been involved in church all my life from day one, pretty much, from the time I was born. And you know what? I know the history of the church. There's been good times and bad times, but guess what? Thank God for the churches that have been involved in my life and I've been involved in. I wouldn't have do it, I wouldn't do my life any other way. Fourth thing, harmony with one another. Every time I speak to harmony in our church, it, it's like I feel, I feel better. Yeah? Just your harmony. It's like you can't say harmony. I don't know if the parents do that, but every time I see harmony and talk to harmony, it's like I, I just feel right at peace just calling it harmony. Come on, everyone. Harmony. What's behind? Is there something falling? Is there something? There's a what? It's a bug. God made creatures great and small. Leave the bug coming to the house of the Lord. Did that rhyme? Can we say harmony together? One, two, three. Come on, with harmony. Harmony. Romans twelve sixteen says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Again, the Amplified uses the word, Live in harmony. Last week we talked about bear with one another. This week we talk about be in harmony with one another. I, I, I love God because he hasn't stamped us all the same. Aren't you happy that you don't look like me? Come on, be honest. I need a yes here. Aren't you happy you don't look like me? Oh, that was poor. It's not a trick question. Aren't you happy you don't look like me? I'm happy I don't look like you. <laughs> We're all different. Amen. We were at the prayer meeting this morning. It looked like the walls of Jericho was around me. Because we had Geordie, 
we had Nick and we had Trey. And I'm behind, I'm going like, Lord, how can you make these people so tall? Then I look, I, I, I don't have a problem with hair. All right? I just want to state that. I don't really have a problem with it. But then I look at some people and I'm like, how come this guy's got hair enough for three heads? I'm glad that God hasn't made us all the same. Some of you today, your, your greatest meal is going and have a pizza. Some of you is going to be, at lunchtime I'm going to do Thai. Some of you, no, 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 I do the sushi thing. For me, it's pretty straightforward. I can't wait to have a plate of pasta. I don't know if it's going to be on our agenda, but that's how, and thank God that we're all different. Harmony doesn't, not harmony, harmony doesn't mean that we're all the same. Amen? Yeah? There's some churches that everybody has to be dressed in the same suit. You're looking at me like crazy. Like, that's how it is. I, I, I have a, an opportunity to go to one of my suppliers, and they're a, a particular closed, won't use the name, closed Christian community. Very closed. Starts with B. Very closed. Right? And I go there, and like, there's one family, and it's like, they all look the same. I'm like, which one am I talking to? Like, they all look the same. They're all very grey, right? Their character's very, they don't, laugh. I don't think I've ever gone in there and laughed. And I've never gone in there and felt like, welcome. It's like, can I help you? It's like, really, okay? God hasn't made us like that. Just look at your children. Same parents and their personality is totally different. Yeah? We're all different. We come, so we all we come from different families, but within our own family, same parents, and you've got one kid that's outgoing, the other kid that cries at the drop of a hat, and the other kid that's always insular, and the other kid that, you know, thinks that the, they're the God's gift to the whole world. That was basically three of my kids. Doesn't mean that we all dress the same, or look the same, or smell the same, or speak the same. We're all different. But we all complementary to each other. We complement each other. Amen. We have different roles, different paths, different responsibility, but we're harmonizing together. Amen. You see, um, I used to play clarinet. I used to play saxophone. And the key of playing any of the... Or, uh, actually, with the violin, you can play them more than one note. But... In the clarinet and saxophone, from what I remember, you can only really play one note at a time. Right? You play the harmony, you play the melody line, just one note at a time. And though it sounds okay, I'll be at home and I heard Anchor Bilk this week and playing on, because I listen to old-fashioned music, and he's playing along with, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, one, one of the beautiful pieces of music for a clarinet. And I used to play that, I used to play it at home, and you go, oh, I feel so, this is such a nice song. Playing nice, nice tune. It sounds okay in isolation. It's like you want the notes to be played in tune. But you know what? God has given us different notes to play. All of us have different notes to play, playing the same song. Different notes. There's some will sing. Hi! Notes, and I can too, if I just 
getting a bit taller. Some are playing really, I should get Samuel to do this because I heard him during the service, really low notes. The thing is that we have one composer. One composer. And when we all play our different notes, some playing the high notes and some playing the middle notes and some playing the low notes and some actually, because you can't sing all that good, you don't play a note at all. But, 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 you can beat the drum. Yeah? And when we all put it together, because on our own, it sounds like, like it's okay, I'm in my bedroom and playing my anchor bilk and it sounds really good. But it's one note at a time. And the composer hasn't written for me to play solo. He's written for me to play together in harmony with everyone else. See, God makes us unique. Different flavors, different talents, different abilities, different passions. But when we bring it all together... Heavenly magic happens, and that's when we shine the brightest for Christ Jesus. It's when we shine the brightest. I'm going to finish with this. Too many Christians make divisions based on their unique revelation. And they feel that they have the full picture of what it is that God wants to say. You come across people that have got revelation and you think like, well, I didn't even consider that. And then they make a life about this revelation that only they got. I don't believe God does it that way. Oh, that pastor doesn't agree. We had so many times where people come and they've got a revelation of how the church should function and what it is that they want to do and some divergent they have thing have for, for, for the pastors and they bring division in the church and they bring trauma and, and then they don't get on there and they go, oh, it's okay, I'll just go down the road and start my own church with my revelation. They think they've got the full picture. But you know what it is? It's just one note that they're playing. One, one note. And if only they would realize that they need to bring and play their one note because you've heard this four-part harmony. If they bring their one note with the other three, they'll get the full impact of the revelation that God has given them. but they just want to do their own thing. I, I, I pray that you're a Christian who's a fully devoted follower of Christ Jesus. He says, God has planted me in a church with other believers. He's given me the opportunity with a unique person who I am, with a u- unique set of giftings and abilities that I have, so that I can bring my one note and play together with the other three, four, 
five, six notes that God has placed in the body so that we all can shine brightest for Jesus. And that's what harmony is all about. There's nothing more captivating when there's beautiful pieces of music that have written, well orchestrated, with every instrument playing its part, backing an incredible choir with four-part harmony. And all together, it just sounds spectacular. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ should be. Amen. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm going to like, count me in, man. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be involved in. I don't want to be involved in someone, you know, building their little kingdom, doing their little thing, doing their little ministry. No, my ministry, ministry that God has given each and every one of us on our own, it's worthless unless we bring it together and serving the body and serving one another and doing it in harmony. Amen. You being challenged? My question to you then is, what are we going to do to change this beautiful relationship of one another? Are you waiting for someone to ring you up and say, hey, let's hang out together. Hey, are you involved in church? Hey, are you in a life group? Hey, uh, by the way, I'm not doing that good. Do you want to come over and help me? Are you waiting for someone? Or maybe each and every one of us can take on our responsibility and do what we can and say, look, I'm committed to the one another. And I'm not waiting for someone else to come. I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to say, hey, I, I've got one little note to play. I, I always pick on the, the triangle player in an orchestra. You know, he's not the first violin. Yeah, first violin. Next to the conductor, the first violin in an orchestra is the most important person. Like even if the, if the triangle player in the percussion section wasn't there, like, would anyone notice? Some of us probably wouldn't. I mean, how many people go to hear a great orchestration going, I'm just waiting for the triangle player. I'm just waiting for him to strike that note. And normally it's right at the very end. Ding! Ding! He practices all week to go, ding! And if you and I were there and he, he didn't show up, we were like, we wouldn't notice. True? No, someone does notice. It's whoever composed that piece of music. So we might not notice, because to be honest, I, I don't know if there's a triangle player here in our midst. I don't know. But you know what? Who knows? God knows. He would, every Sunday when we're gathering together, he, he'd be there going like, come on, triangle player. Bring your triangle and play that piece of music. I know it's one note, but you know what? That note, I, I wrote the whole piece of music in order for that note 
that will be played right at the end. And you're not playing it. So it's not exactly how I would like it. It's good that it's been played, but something's missing. Maybe you've got what's missing. Your note. What you have in your hands. What you can do. Amen. Let's stand. Close your eyes. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And we thank you, Lord God, that you haven't caught us out into da- of darkness and brought us into light and then left us as individuals, islands to ourselves. But you called us out of darkness, into light, to be part of your family. I pray this morning, Lord God, that every one of us here would understand the incredible responsibility that you've placed on us. That we would love one another with an unconditional love that looks out for each other, encourages each other, blesses each other, works together with each other, harmonizes with each other in order for us together, collectively, to shine brightest. We just want to thank you. We pray, Father, challenge each and every one of us that have kept our little triangle in the closet at home, waiting for another day to bring it out to play our little piece when things get better. I pray, Father, that you would challenge us to bring out whatever you've placed in our hands in order for us to harmonize together, collectively shining bright for Jesus. We pray your blessing over your church. We pray your blessing over each and every one of us here, every family represented here, every man, woman, and child today, Lord God. Your blessing and your favor over their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got a couple of minutes. We're going to pray for Bonnie and Andrew. You want to come in front? Yeah, if you go and get her, come down. I'll um, pray f- for Clarence. Clarence has spent a bit of time in hospital this week. Come. Come up here. Tell us what's going on. Do you need Beth to be by your side? You're sort of half complete without her. Beth, you need to come here with him. Just hold his hand. Be nice because he's a bit vulnerable at the moment.